The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. I'm going to start off today going back to a story that we had some months ago. I guess it was Alec Baldwin gets some bad news today. He was claiming that he didn't pull the trigger. The, he pulled the hammer back and it just went off. Now, from what I understand, this was a single-action type revolver. And he says he didn't pull the hammer back all the way. But as most of you who know guns know, you have to pull it back all the way for it to fire. It's got a half cock on it. Even the old style ones have what's called a half cock position just for that reason. So if you do let go of the hammer while pulling it back, the gun will not fire. And the FBI did research on the gun. They inspected it. They test fired it and said the only way it could be could be set to fire is by pulling the trigger. So Alec Baldwin, you pulled the trigger, you killed somebody. Now, and there's always and the the big debate is was it his fault? I mean. I personally think he was not a gun enthusiast in any way. In fact, he was a big advocate against guns in private hands. But yet he uses them to make his living almost every day. And that's okay if he uses them, but not okay if you have them. More of that elitist uh, crud that's going around. But they determined the gun could not be fired without pulling the trigger. So he apparently did pull the trigger. Now, granted, he was handed the gun by somebody else. He didn't go pick it up. He was handed it to, he was handed the weapon, and apparently every other time he's ever been handed a weapon on a movie set, it is unloaded and cannot do any harm to anybody. But in this particular case, somebody put live ammo in this weapon. And it was not just, you know, a lot of the prop guns will not fire standard ammunition. They'll fire blanks only. But this was an actual functioning weapon, and somebody put ammo in it, and then somehow somebody handed it to Alec Baldwin without the armorer, armorer checking it first. And that was something, you know, he thought he was handed an unloaded gun, which, you know, I understand that being not a gun enthusiast, he doesn't know to check it. He's never had to check a weapon in his life, probably. He may want to learn now, if he continues making this this series and ends up using more of the same weapons, but it's just kind of crazy that, uh, you know, this happened at all. But he doesn't want to take any responsibility for what happened. And, you know, he did pull the hammer back. He did pull the trigger. He did fire the weapon. Even though he says he didn't pull the trigger, the FBI says, oh, yes, he did. Now, is he responsible for that? Yeah, I love to blame him because he's a big anti-gun nut who doesn't believe that people should own guns, except for maybe him and his bodyguards. But there were industry rules that were in place on a movie set to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen. And apparently these rules were somehow ignored or not uh, followed properly. And somehow he got handed a gun that was loaded and killed somebody. So, you know, we can blame him for this to some extent because I would think anybody handling weapons on a movie set should be told... Show me, show, show me it's not loaded, or is it loaded? At least ask the question. Is it loaded? Don't make the assumption. 
And if they tell you it's not and you're not a gun enthusiast, then you have to take them at their word because they are the experts. And since this was his show, he should have known who the armorer was, and he should have made sure. Let's see. The armorer in this case was a young lady, a woman, and uh, she claims she didn't have adequate time or opportunity to do her job, to check the weapon before he got it. So basically, someone else grabbed the gun. He did not get it from the armorer who would have had time to check it and remove any live rounds. Probably would have scared her to death if she had found live rounds in any of her movie set guns, knowing that somebody else was messing with them would be a reason alone to lock these up when they're not being used. And I know, because I've done this job for two movie sets before. I've had to deal with weapons on movie sets. And whenever I handed someone a gun, I would check it and I would show them. And I said, if you need to go to the bathroom, if you need to set this thing down for any reason, keep put it out of your sight, bring it back to me. If you do set it down, go somewhere and come back and you left it alone, bring it back to me to let me double check it. Make sure nothing happened to it. So I was, you know, I've done this job before and I know what it entails. So I'm not talking from a place of ignorance. And it's just, it's odd that she didn't have the weapons either locked up. When I was working with them, I had them locked until I took something out of the box for somebody to use. And they only shoot usually one scene at a time. Now, granted, one scene can have several weapons in it, but as long as the armor or someone is there to watch the weapons and make sure nobody you know, plays with them, messes with them, anything like that, that would be enough to make sure the gun was safe. But apparently, uh, let me see... Hutchins is dead because several people screwed up in this case. Somehow the chain of custody was not followed and the weapon was loaded. Now I want to know, I would love to find out who put the ammo in the gun and I'm sure that's going to be really difficult to get a confession out of anybody. Originally when the story came out, they said some of the set guys were in the back firing the weapons in the desert where they were shooting. And they may have just forgot to take out some of the bullets when they were done, the, the rounds when they were finished. That would seem like the most probable cause. I doubt this was done intentionally. I doubt anybody wanted to, Alec Baldwin to shoot somebody, especially the cinematographer. She was not, you know, related to him in any way other than she was working on his, his show set. But I always check. I mean, even if you're not a gun enthusiast, someone hands you a weapon, tells you it's unloaded, just tell them, show me. How do you know? Well, I checked it. Well, show me. You know, it doesn't hurt to take an extra 10 seconds. What do they say? If you're a carpenter, measure twice, cut once. Always better to check a gun twice and not shoot somebody even once. So take that to heart. Hopefully Alec Baldwin will sort out his feelings or his issues about this. Maybe next time they'll hold people more responsible for doing their jobs properly and he won't be in such a rush and make sure things are done right. His responsibility is to make sure the right person handed him the weapon and that they checked it first. But he apparently just took it from somebody who was not the armorer armorer, and he should have known that that was not the person to take a gun from without having somebody else check it. But apparently he made a mistake. Whoever put the rounds in the gun made a mistake and now a cinematographer is dead because of it. But we'll see how that pans out, if it's going to make any difference in his life whatsoever. I would not think so, because I think they've already determined he was not it was not malicious. It was not intentional. And he doesn't have the background or the experience to know how to check it. So, okay, Alec Baldwin, good luck on that. Now we're going to go to Oklahoma, where this is a bizarre story. Apparently, there was a woman that they were doing a uh, 
I guess they called it a wellness check. And so they went to see her. She was, I guess apparently she did something to be put in the back of the police car. So they put her into handcuffs, put her in the back of the patrol vehicle, which, by the way, was an SUV. It looked like a, maybe a Ford Explorer or something like that. So it was not a standard car. So it was interesting because somehow she got out of the handcuffs. Okay, let's say she was a Houdini. She was able to get out of handcuffs. I don't know if she slipped out of them. You couldn't see because the video camera that was in the car showed her from about the mid-chest up. So you couldn't see what she was doing with her hands behind her back. But all of a sudden, her hands come free. Her hands are in front of her back, and she's messing around in the back of a police car. And then you see her lean up to the front of the car. And then she comes back, and as she comes in back into the camera view, she's holding an AR-15. So, apparently, once she was free of the cuff, she was able to reach and retrieve the AR-15 from the front of the police car. Now, that strikes me as extremely odd, that she had that kind of reach. I mean, I don't know. You figure, she's probably in a running car, because it was in Oklahoma, it was in the summertime, if she had been able to reach that far into the front of the car, why didn't she just roll the window down and, or unlock the doors, roll the windows down, unlock her door from the outside and go away? <laughs> that would have been the first thing I would have done. Roll that back window down, unlock the car door from the outside if it was possible, and get out of the car. But instead, she got the weapon, and from what I could see, it looked like an, it was an AR-15 variant, either a short-barreled rifle or a AR-15-style pistol with a 30-round mag already inserted in it when we first see it. So she was able to get this weapon with the magazine, a flashlight, stock, everything, from the front seat to the back seat. So somehow there was a hole big enough for her to get her hands up there, grab the weapon, and pull the weapon into the back seat. Then you see her messing around with it for a few minutes, trying to figure it out, playing with it. You see the flashlight come on in the front of it, and she's looking at that. And meanwhile, the police are probably 20, 30, 40 yards away discussing the situation, discussing the woman, discussing her wellness, whatever they're going to do. And they got paperwork in hand. And then all of a sudden you see her turn around backwards in the back seat and there's a little quarter windows in the back of the SUV. And she points the rifle at the quarter windows and starts shooting the rifle out of the car. She ends up hitting a civilian in the chest and nicks one of the deputies <laughs> While she's shooting. And the police, you see, they show this. If you, It's on Fox News. I saw the video they had. And they show it from inside the car. And then they show it again twice from two different angles outside the car. And it's shocked because the civilian is just shocked. He's like, ow. <laughs> he jumps back and he grabs his chest and he kind of falls to the ground. I mean, he could tell he was hit. And then the man who got shot, his son was out there, too. And I don't know what relation this lady had to those people, if they were family members or if she had any reason to want to shoot them because maybe they called the police on her. I don't know what the what the situation was. But anyway, this lady is now being held on a million-dollar bond in an Oklahoma County Sheriff's Department, Sheriff's Office. And it's it's a bizarre video to watch. And I just I would love to just see how she was able to get this gun out of the car, whether she's in handcuffs or not. The fact that she had access to that weapon from the back seat of the car is just it's ridiculously strange. I don't know how that could possibly happen. But and then she I guess she fired I guess she fired through the windows. 
So, but the victims were hospitalized. Injuries not considered life threatening, and they. I think she finally surrendered to the authorities at some point. So that's something to consider too. If you're in the back of a police car for some reason and you want to try to shoot your way out, maybe you can just get a hold of the police gun that's in the front seat. <laughs> oh, so very strange. But if you get a chance, watch some of the, there's a few videos floating. Well, they have the actual police cameras that were focused on her in the back seat and they have the, the on-person cameras from the two officers that were there. I watched all three perspectives of this, and it's just, it's crazy how much time she had to fumble around in there once she got out of the cuffs, and nobody was checking on her. And apparently, you can hear them discussing how she refused water, she didn't want anything, they were trying to, you know, help her. Because she, I don't know that she was under arrest or anything, or she was just being checked on. I'm not, they didn't, they weren't super clear as to why she was in the back of the car in the first place. It says they responded to a wellness check at the home. And they took the woman into custody and placed her into handcuffs in the back of an SUV vehicle. And you can see this woman getting out of the handcuffs, though. That's it just the fact that she was able to do that. Well, some people are more talented than others. But the fact that she was able to get the rifle from the front seat to the back seat is just that's I really would love to see that video of how she squeezed that thing back there, or how much room there was, or how easy it was to get it, how difficult it was to get it. But the fact that she squeezed it back there would tell me that anybody with almost any size hands could reach around the front of the car and get a hold of that weapon. Because she did not seem like a particularly large person or particularly skinny, nothing like that, real long arms, nothing like that, pretty average sized. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in a few minutes. We're going to take a quick break and come back to the sensitive areas in New York City. Stacey Abrams says yes to defund the police as crime is on the rise in Georgia. This November, say no to Stacey Abrams and cast your vote for Brian Kemp. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. Veteran-owned America's Web Radio endorses and supports Dr. Rich McCormick for Georgia's 6th District, U.S. House of Representatives, as a decorated Marine helicopter pilot, and now an emergency room doctor who served on the front lines against COVID-19, Dr. Rich McCormick has never been afraid of a fight. Whether it's communist China abroad, or the radical left in America, Rich knows the next fight facing America is to stop socialism. He's all in. Vote for Rich McCormick. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Right before we left the break, I was going to tell you about New York's new sensitive areas. This is interesting because a judge recently overturned the New York policy of have, of being a May issue state. Because in New York, you could apply for a gun permit, but they would decide based on all kinds of crazy factors. They would try and base it on your need or if you could prove that you needed to have a permit to carry a gun. Basically, your right to keep and bear arms was being infringed upon. And the decision to allow you a permit was being placed in the hand of politicians or sheriff's departments all over the state. So keep that in mind. This has been overturned now. A judge had said, Clarence Thomas said, that there were some places that guns could be constitutionally banned. He called them sensitive areas, like courthouses, jails, and that sort of things. Now, what New York is trying to do is broaden this term of sensitive area to cover, like, 
all of Times Square. Blocks and blocks and blocks of the middle of the city are sensitive areas. And they're trying to put, they're trying to basically make New York a web of sensitive areas so you basically couldn't go from one block to the next if you were carrying a weapon because you would be violating their sensitive area, or sensitive place because it's crowded. So, I mean, and that's what they're basing it on, the crowd concentration. And there's nothing in the Constitution saying you cannot carry a gun because it's too crowded, because there's too many people there. So they're trying to declare the whole island of Manhattan a gun-free zone. And uh, that's not going to work, because the judge said that's that's not the way this is being done. You cannot decide whether people can or cannot have a permit based on personal decisions or personal needs or wants or or them having to prove that they need a weapon. Your right is guaranteed in the Constitution to keep and bear arms, and New York was trying to infringe on it, so now they got shut down. And now it's interesting to see where Second Amendment rights will be, um, I guess, allowed and where they won't be allowed. Because it's kind of crazy. And they're saying all the parks, all parks are now sensitive areas. And that includes, you know, they're saying Adirondack Park up in upstate New York. It's home to about 130,000 people, all of whom saw their Second Amendment rights when the law will take effect on September 1st, not allowing anybody to carry weapons in any parks in New York. Now that's, you know, it's just unusual because that would be the place where I think a lot of the crime would take place and that's where law-abiding citizens would want to be able to defend themselves. Central what Park. A, what about the criminals? It's alright for them to carry? I guess. I mean, they don't, well, criminal, that, oh, they don't follow the law anyway. Yeah, so let's put more laws in that criminals will not follow and bash law-abiding citizens and not allow them to defend themselves. That's just, that's been the argument forever and it seems like New York City just doesn't believe that that holds true. You can look at cities like Chicago, Portland, New York, New Jersey, all these states and cities all over the country that have higher crime rates because they do not have people with the right to keep in bear arms to protect themselves, defend themselves, their families, their friends, none of that, which is completely ridiculous. That's exactly why the Second Amendment was written, and it was written to help prevent tyranny from taking over our government. But, of course, if tyranny is going to take over, the first thing they're going to do is take away our gun rights. Now, New York decided this was something they wanted to do years ago, and it has basically been floating around that you could not get a gun permit or a carry permit in New York City without knowing somebody, without being friends with a sheriff's department, without being friends with a city councilman, a police chief. And this was not, it was not in, it was not written anywhere, but it was basically understood that you had to have an in in order to get a carry permit in New York. Unless you could prove that your job or your occupation required you to have a weapon because it puts you in danger to not have one. So basically they had to have you prove that you had the right to keep and bear arms. Now could you imagine if this happened in other scenarios? I just want to know. Well, now granted the Constitution does not grant you a right to vote. I know. You're telling me you have the right to vote. You do not. It is not a guaranteed right. Some states will give you the right to vote. However, the Constitution does say if they're in an election and people are allowed to vote in it, they cannot discriminate you based on certain factors, gender, race, religion, things like that, age up to a point. You know, if you're not under 18, you're not allowed to vote. 
which seems reasonable. You're not allowed to do much of anything else unless you're under, over 18 either. But anyway, so New York has always been of this restrictive capacity, trying to limit the number of people and make it more of a, you know, a, a honor to get a gun permit instead of honoring a right which was issued. So now this is going to come down to a battle. This law has been passed, and we're going to see if they're able to enforce it or if there's going to be a lawsuit right off the bat as soon as people realize that even though the the right to carry arms is going to be allowed now and they're going to have to issue more permits because they can't stop you from doing that, are they going to actually allow you to carry it even if you do get the permit? Or are they going to make it such a, a web of sensitive areas that you can't carry it walking through the city at all because you'll walk through so many sensitive areas, you'll be violating the restrictions that they're putting on it? I'm curious to see how that works out. Now, in many states, business owners can put up signs to serve notice that the building is a gun-free zone. And I know a lot of you guys just, you know, if you don't see the sign, it doesn't count, which is probably the case. But if they ask you to leave, by all means, if someone sees your weapon or knows you're carrying and they ask you to leave, by all means, I would leave. And if I'm there ordering food and I order food and it didn't come out yet, I would walk away from it. Maybe throw the waitress or waiter a couple bucks for the tip and walk out, leave them with the food at whatever stage it's at. If I don't get to eat it in your restaurant, I'm not paying for it. That's why I'm there. That's why I ordered the food. If you're not going to allow me to eat it, then I'm not, I'm not going to take it with me unless I want to. Unless you want to take it with you and pay for it, that's fine. Now don't take it with you and don't pay for it. I'm not, I'm not, saying to steal food from a restaurant that has a sign I'm saying if you don't want to eat it at home you don't want to sit in the parking lot and eat it leave it there and walk out they might try and get you in trouble for that but you say hey they asked me to leave I was leaving I didn't get my food or I got it and I didn't get to take it I I didn't get to eat it they made me leave before I finished it so I'm not paying for it now you know this is kind of a tough one because what if businesses were allowed to violate other civil rights based on the fact that they're a private business. I mean, granted, most of you guys, you won't go to a place that has a gun-free sign there, a gun-free zone sign, because, you know, there are other places to spend your money. But what if these companies were allowed to say, okay, you're allowed to discriminate in inside our business. We're allowed to discriminate against people for race, for gender, for age, for religion, for whatever we want, because we're a private business and we can do what we want. Now, the only business I know that is legally allowed to do that is the movie industry or TV industry. They're allowed to hire people based on certain looks, gender, age, things like that, because they're looking for characters of a certain, you know, style, race, age, whatever. They're looking for very certain people, and they're allowed to discriminate based on those factors, depending on what the role calls for. But everybody else is not supposed to be allowed to discriminate on those factors at all. But what if a private business said, oh, no, we're going to allow discrimination in our business because we're a private business? Yeah, It seems ridiculous. These people are within the United States borders. They should have to follow the laws and honor the rights that were given people. And New York is going to, they're going to fight like crazy to try and keep people from getting gun permits, which, you know, they've already said they're going to be, it could be months and months and months before they're able to sort through all the applications that they're receiving now. Yeah, because they're going to put it on a back burner for sure to try and slow it down as much as they can. But if you're in New York and you want a permit, I suggest you be patient. Apply 
apply as many to get as many friends to apply as you can get as many people who are like-minded to apply for gun permits in new york city it may overload the system for a little while but eventually if enough of you do not get served and get your permits then you'll be able to file a lawsuit saying that they're deliberately stalling that no county no city no state should be able to take your right federally issued right federally issued constitutional right away because they decided they don't think you're worthy of being able to exercise it I mean driving is a privilege it requires a license it has to you have to have it to drive on public roads but yet they will not discriminate issuing a license to anybody who passes their test you know you pass the driver's test you get a driver's license pretty much there's not a whole lot of gray area there but here they're trying to say you cannot have a gun because we decided you don't want it and we want the city of new york <clears throat> to be a gun-free zone which it's not now so i'm curious to see how this pans out if a lawsuit happens the minute they catch somebody in a sensitive area saying i have a gun permit i have my gun i didn't show it to anybody i didn't you know threaten anybody with it it's just on my person and are the cops going to come out and start, you know, trying to look for people carrying weapons just so they can wait till they walk one block over and they can arrest them for being in a sensitive area? Because they're going to scatter these sensitive areas throughout the city, anywhere they possibly can, to narrow the scope of where you're legally allowed to carry to a very small area. So I just wonder if that's going to hold after the decision was passed by the Supreme Court that they couldn't have a May-issue state anymore. And I also wonder about other states, like California is a May-issue state also. I think New Jersey is. I wonder if any of these other states' May-issue policies are going to be challenged and overturned. That would be interesting to see if that happens, because that would be great. I mean, and if that's true, then reciprocity might be next. Although that would be up to each state to decide whether or not they want to honor anybody else's permit. I don't think there's any law stating they have to. Because right now it's odd because it's a federal right that's given to you by the Constitution, but yet states regulate it to such a point that they try and take this right away from you. And I could just imagine if it was any other right in the Constitution that was guaranteed or restricted from laws being made against it, which in case you didn't know, all the first ten amendments are rights that are spelled out that the government may not infringe on. They're not giving you these rights, so they're saying you already have these rights, and the government is not allowed to infringe or get in the way of you exercising them. They're not saying you have these rights. These rights are already yours. So we'll have to see. But this is going to be, I can't wait for somebody to sue New York City and come at it again. Now, this was interesting because the Cleveland Police Department is now facing a lawsuit after they did an arrest of a person who was kept behind bars for 36 hours on a charge of improperly handling a firearm for walking down the street while openly carrying a pistol and a shotgun. Now, obviously, if you're open carrying a shotgun down the street, I would say you're looking for attention, you're looking to test things, you're looking to see how far you can get, because that's just not something people normally do in this day and age. I'm not saying you shouldn't, I'm not saying you can't. Well, I maybe say you shouldn't. I mean, if you want to honestly carry a weapon for protection, to me, the best way to carry it would be concealed. Otherwise, a criminal is going to pick you out of a crowd as being his first and foremost threat, and you're going to put yourself in more danger than anything else. But anyway, so they put him in a... They put him in a, in a jail cell for 36 hours, and now the Cleveland Police Department may be 
the victim of a lawsuit here for violating his constitutional rights for, uh, you know, for, for no purpose whatsoever that they could spell out. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We'll come back to this in just a moment. I am Roger B. You're listening to Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. On August 8th, 2022, in violation of the Fourth Amendment, the FBI performed a most egregious search of a former president's home. The Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution provides that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched, and the persons or things to be seized. The Fourth Amendment originally enforced the notion that each man's home is his castle, secure from unreasonable searches and seizures of property by the government. We must take a stand and take back our country. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. And before we left the break, we were talking about a Cleveland police force that's facing a lawsuit after they arrested somebody, falsely arrested somebody for carrying an open weapon, which is allowed, apparently, in Cleveland, Ohio. There's no law against it. And they saw a guy walking down the street with a handgun and a shotgun. Now, apparently the guns were secure enough to where he had control over them. He wasn't dropping them, fumbling them on the street. They were no negligent discharges or anything like that happening. But when they stopped him, he said he was he was conducting a community safety patrol. Because apparently there had been some crime in the area, and, and including the shooting of a 14-year-old girl who was lying in her bed. And a quintuple shooting at the memorial service in Collinwood, Ohio. So he set out to conduct a community safety patrol. And, of course, his his explanation was just the mere presence of a person carrying a weapon walking through the neighborhood would be a deterrent to any potential criminals. And this, believe it or not, this is probably a, a very good idea because most criminals are lazy. They're not very brave. They want easy targets. They want easy scores. They want things to be easy. They don't want things to be complicated. They want things to be difficult. They want it to be as easy as possible. But then he was there, and the the officers were questioning him, and he said it is right to do so. He can carry this weapon if he wants to. And the officer said he was not under arrest and acknowledged the state's law that allows people to carry guns openly. Now, since the arrest... The state enacted a law that allows people to carry concealed weapons, so he could have carried these concealed after the law was passed. But that was after he was arrested, so this did not apply. And if they try and use this in the lawsuit, hopefully, I'm sure his lawyers will point this out and say this law was not 
in effect when this initially took place. So apparently he walked away from them. He says, I'm not under arrest, then I'm, I'm leaving. And he walked away. And this is before the sergeant that they had called or officer they had called the superior came to the scene. He left before the sergeant came. The sergeant came. They said he walked on down the street. They said he could not walk down the street with a gun. He clearly said that, and it's apparently it's on the video cameras that the officers had, and apparently the gentleman being detained had a video camera as well. He videoed the entire scenario. So the officers drove after him again, surrounded him, got out of his cruiser with the guns drawn pointed at this guy and ordered him to put his guns on the ground. Now, according to the lawsuit and the body camera footage of the incident, he asked why he was being detained and told Henderson he wasn't breaking any laws. And according to the lawsuit, the body video camera or the body camera video of the incident said the sergeant claims you cannot walk. You can't walk down the street with a gun in your hand. I'm not going to allow you to do it. (laughs) The fact of the matter is he can legally walk down the street with a gun in his hand. There is no law preventing it. And yet they arrested him for this. Well, they never filed formal charges. They took him into custody. Let's say that he was not arrested. And then he orders the officer to arrest him on charges of carrying a concealed weapon. And then the officers kind of laughed. And then they later changed the charges to charge of improperly handling a firearm. And this charge apparently only applies to the requirements of transporting a gun in a car. So, again, trumped up charges that were had nothing to do with what he was doing because there was no law preventing him from doing this. So they kept him in jail for a day and a half. And they released him without filing any formal charges. And the prosecutors took the case to the grand jury, and the grand jury refused to indict him on a charge of illegal carrying, illegally carrying a concealed firearm. Because apparently concealed carry was not allowed at the time this happened, so he was open carrying. That was the only way he was legally allowed to do it. Now, granted, this guy obviously kind of knew what he was doing. He knew he wasn't breaking any laws, but he also knew he was going to attract attention. He knew he was going to basically stir the pudding, if you will, just to see if he could stir something up. But now it looks like the the cities or the state, looks like the city of Cleveland is facing a lawsuit because he's filed a lawsuit against his false arrest, which, you know, hey, he was falsely arrested. He was not charged with anything. He was not breaking any laws. They detained him for 36 hours based on nothing other than the police sergeant said he wanted to detain him and i don't know how long you're allowed to detain somebody without any charges being filed without any laws being broken and i don't know if it was a full arrest i don't know that they fingerprinted him i don't know if they told him he was under arrest for a charge but they initially told him what the charge was changed it later and then apparently dropped everything afterwards and let him go but you can watch apparently the video is out there of his arrest and i'm sure he's stating the whole time i have the right to do this i'm not breaking any laws so we'll have to see and hopefully if this does go through hopefully ohio will have to pay out big to this man and he will start a fund to defend other people who find themselves in a similar situation. Whether they put themselves in that situation or not, if it's not against the law, the police are not allowed to detain, arrest, or harass you in any way based on the fact you're not breaking any laws, you're not doing anything wrong. So I'd like to see this happen because this way other states who think that guns are just horrible 
weapons of huge destruction. Every time they see anybody carrying one or having one, they think it's a right that they have to arrest somebody or detain them in some way. They do not. Guns are still a protected right in this country, and hopefully everybody knows that. Now, granted, this guy was probably well aware of his rights when he did this, and it sounds like he was actually going in to stir things up and see if he – it almost seems like he was trying to get arrested so he would have something to base the lawsuit on. And I just hope he wins this thing, hands down, because there is no reason they should have arrested him. Detaining him, they can detain anybody they want for short periods of time until they charge them with something. And they came up with a charge, which they later changed the charge, and that charge was inaccurate and unable to be prosecuted. And a grand jury said they would not prosecute him on other charges. So he was apparently allowed to go free. But I'm curious to see, will they change their policy? Will they just be more careful who they let walk down the street? Will they try and keep people from recording them? Will they not release body cam footage in the future if they think it may harm their police department? But we'll see. I want to see this guy win. I want to see him win. I want to see him get money. And I want to see other states, cities, and counties all decide, you know what? If the law is not on our side, we should not arrest people if they're not breaking the law, especially when it comes to gun gun ownership and possession of firearms. All right, now we're going to go to Brazil. And you wonder, why would we go to Brazil? Except for maybe Carnival, which is, I don't think it's this time of year, but Carnival is supposed to be a lot of fun there. But they had a president, Jair Bolsonaro, and he was a conservative. In fact, from what I've heard, rumor has it they consider him the Brazilian Trump. He came in there with conservative values. He came in with conservative ideas for the economy. And he also came in with conservative ideas for gun ownership. So after he got into office, apparently gun ownership in Brazil has gone way up, has soared under his rule or his service. So that just goes to show you a lot of citizens will take their responsibility seriously. They will decide to defend, protect themselves, their property, their families, their friends. They will take on this responsibility if given the opportunity. And apparently the president in Brazil has decided to make this a possibility. So now they're issuing dozens of decrees loosening restrictions on gun ownership for civilians. And why shouldn't they? I mean, it would seem like if the police have guns, then citizens should be able to have them, too. If the police use guns to defend themselves, shouldn't citizens be able to use guns to defend themselves as well? Well, apparently, the people in Brazil have voted, yes, this is what they want to happen. So we're going to see. He's facing a re-election battle in November, and apparently... He's trying to get with Brazil's growing gun lobby and poses for pictures, making a gun sign with thumb and forefinger, saying he is for gun ownership. He is not going to restrict it. So I'd be curious to know. Now, that's one of his, I guess, his base areas is gun ownership and gun owners, enthusiasts of weapons. That's some of the people who are some of his biggest endorsers and biggest supporters. But now they've doubled. Since 2018, the number of guns in private has has doubled from 1 million to nearly 2 million, according from data from the Brazil's army and police. Gun stores and shooting tournaments are coming up all over Brazil. They include the massive Schutzenfest, which is held in southern Brazil. Now, that's a German target competition, from what I understand. A combination of beer-drenched Oktoberfest and shooting guns. Um, yeah, that... <laughs> 
I don't know if I agree with drinking beer and shooting guns all in the same day. You might have to have uh, that spread out a little bit. And apparently there's an average of one new shooting range per day opening up during Bolsonaro's nearly four years in office. Wow. So this guy has really pushed gun ownership in Brazil to a new level. Now, I do wonder if he loses... Are they going to try and go retroactive and pull all these restrictions, put these restrictions back into place? Are they going to try and take these weapons away from the people who already have them? Don't know. Hopefully he'll win again, be able to push the freedom agenda further than it's ever been before and keep people safe. Now, here's an interesting statistic. They've had the biggest drop in murders since 1980. So in 40 years, they've had the biggest drop in murders in Brazil since he became president and since gun ownership has gone, has skyrocketed. So obviously, more guns in private citizens' hands deter criminals, as we've known for centuries, but yet politicians don't want to believe it. They want to say it causes more crime, but they're completely wrong. Every scenario that's ever come up has always shown this to be incorrect. It, it's it's a flat-out lie, people. There's no other way to put it. It is a lie. They are lying when they say more guns promote more crime in the hands of legal citizens. Because most legal citizens are concerned about their safety. They're concerned about their family. They're concerned about their property. They're not just out to do bad deeds. That's why they're there. So we'll see. I'm curious to see how this is going to work out for the Brazilian people. Hopefully, they will embrace the idea of gun ownership with a responsible way of doing things and decide that they can handle it and they can help police their own neighborhoods, police their own cities, and make sure everybody is safer because of the fact they now have a way to get arms into private citizens' hands. So we'll see if they – maybe they'll start coming – coming around, and this will spread to other South American countries. Who knows? Now, Brazil is kind of a country of its own because it's the one, from what I understand, I think it's the one or two countries that speak Portuguese instead of Spanish in South America. So there's that to consider. But still, they are part of the South American community, and they are, I think, the largest country in South America. So if they go down this road and they decide to decriminalize having a weapon and make it more of a, you know standard thing to be able to defend yourself. Hopefully, the other countries in South America may loosen their grip a little bit. And I wonder if that would slow down any of the cartels that run a lot of these South American countries. Would they be more afraid of citizens who are legally able to defend themselves? Would they be? Would they lose any power down there? Or would they still have enough money to basically have a stranglehold on the politicians and police and other law enforcement officers that a lot of smaller countries or less democratic countries have in place now. We'll see. Hopefully, Bolsonaro will win his re-election bid and keep things going in the right direction. So, hope that will come around. Now, this is an interesting story. Someone had come out and said that police will soon be able to track the ghost guns. Um, yeah, I don't know how that's going to happen unless they start putting serial numbers on them and selling them as federally registered receivers. If they sell 80% lowers as federally, federally registered receivers, then they will have to have a serial number and they'll be able to be tracked. But if they maintain the 80% rule and people finish their own weapons, they will not need serial numbers. They will not have any kind of tracking. They will not be able to determine who owns them or why they want to own them or anything. They will be weapons that can be finished out by citizens of the United States 
for their own personal possession. Now realize, if you build a weapon for yourself, as long as it falls within the legal limits, you cannot build a machine gun, you cannot build a sawed-off shotgun or short-barrel rifle without the proper license. All right, we're going to have to come back to this in just a few minutes. But I'm going to assure you, 80% guns will still be safe and untrackable. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. Stacey Abrams says yes to defund the police as crime is on the rise in Georgia. This November, say no to Stacey Abrams and cast your vote for Brian Kemp. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back. And right before we left for the break, we were talking about ghost guns. Now, ghost guns, in case you don't know, it's it's kind of a misnomer. They are weapons that you can manufacture yourself legally in the United States for your own personal possession, own personal use, without any type of restriction, without any type of background check. So, yeah, could criminals manufacture ghost guns? Sure they could. But they're not following the law anyway, so why would that be of any concern? They can import extra few hundred guns with every you know load of drugs they get in from south of the border as well. So it's not like they can stop criminals who are willing to violate the law anyway. Is the ghost gun... Uh, the one that uh, Biden shook hands with? I think that was the ghost politician, I think. Ah. <laughs> That's right. That's a scene where he was talking about ghost guns and turned to shake hands with somebody and nobody was there. And he just kind of stood there with his hand out for a while. And uh, everyone was wondering what he was doing. <laughs> Apparently, he was shaking hands with a manufacturer of a ghost gun who was actually a ghost. <laughs> Oh, so maybe to Biden, ghost guns are guns that are manufactured by ghosts. That's why they're so hard to track. But no, I mean, now Biden is, there's supposedly going to be laws pending. Hopefully it will be stopped. But it will halt the manufacturing, from what I understand, of 80% gun frames and lowers and such. This is the easiest way to build a gun without a serial number is to buy a lower or receiver that is 80% of the way finished. I don't know exactly how this is determined all the time. Somehow the ATF decides what is 80% and what is 81% finished. But apparently you've got to buy these 80% finished lowers and you can finish them yourselves, manufacture your own weapon. Now, granted, most of these 80% guns require additional parts to finish them. And most of the additional parts are usually purchased. And they are purchased and not manufactured on their own. Some of them have serial numbers, some do not. But the frame itself, or the actual part that is the gun, has no serial number on it from the factory where it is manufactured. Now, if you want to put a serial number on your gun, you want to put your initials on it, you can do whatever you want. But it is not required by law currently. Now, I don't know how long, if they actually pass this law, if it's actually going to... If they're gonna, if they get it passed, it will change the availability of these things. So if you have any desire to have one of these 80% lowers, either most popular ones are probably the AR-15 
and a Glock compatible pistol, the two most popular 80% lowers out there from what I see. And there are a few others. I think I've seen a SIG come, a SIG 320 frame, which is actually a piece of steel. So it's a little harder, and it has to be folded up and drilled holes in it and a few other things done to that. It's a little more difficult process than some of the other ones. The other ones have become fairly easy to finish. Now, there are, if you want to see on YouTube how these guys do this, that would be the best way to get a little heads up as to how it happens. Now... A lot of the guns now actually are made of plastic, but there's still going to be steel parts in these things that are not going to be, they're not going to be ghost guns that you can drag onto a plane because the other parts in here are not going to be made of plastic. Just like a lot of pistols these days, the frames are essentially plastic. And that's the part that has a serial number on it. So if you can get that part without the serial number, it doesn't mean that just that frame is going to be the part that fires. You're going to have to add a slide, a barrel. You're going to have to add an upper receiver. You're going to have to add a bolt and bolt release. All these parts generally are made of steel. And that would set off any metal detector in any airport anywhere in the world, probably. So there's no issue with that. It's not like ghost guns automatically can not be seen by by uh, x-rays or inspection devices at airports. Most of them can be seen clearly. Even just an outline of a gun frame can be seen. And despite what you may think, it is still illegal to take a weapon onto an airplane in your carry-on bag. It must be checked, must be pointed out when checking it, locked in a special box that only the airline has the keys to, and they unlock it when you get to your destination and allow you to take it then. So that's something you have to be aware of. Just because it is a ghost gun does not mean you are allowed to take it into an airport, into a courthouse, into any other place that does not allow guns. It does not have any special rights. It does not have any special privileges. It is still considered a weapon, and you must treat it as such, and all the same laws do apply. Now, if you ever decide to sell this weapon, you must put a serial number on it, and you must register it as a weapon. You can't sell a ghost gun to anybody that didn't already own it without serializing it and registering it. So you cannot get into the business of manufacturing weapons, manufacturing ghost guns, and selling them to people unless you're going to break the law, in which case you don't care what the law says because you're going to do what you want anyway. But if you have any desire, I mean, from what's going on now, it seems as if this law is pending and it may become real. And if you have any desire to own one of these things, there are several good manufacturers, several Good places to find these things still. From what I've been seeing, I did a little bit of searching a couple of days ago, and there's still plenty of stuff out there at reasonable prices. And, you know, a lot of hobbyists like the, the satisfaction of finishing a gun themselves, you know, finishing it out, building it to their specifications, not having to buy one already built and having to take half the parts of it, throw them away, and get the ones you want. This is a way to build your own version of whatever you want. Now, in the ARs, which is probably one of the most popular ones, it started off a long time ago as being one of the most popular ones, they come in usually two different varieties. One is an aluminum receiver, and the other one is a polymer or plastic receiver. Now, all of these can be finished similarly. And most of the time, you get the receiver, and you have to buy a jig, which holds it in place, shows you where to drill the hole, shows you which part of the the receiver must be milled out in order to accept the trigger assemblies, the safety assemblies, and the other parts that are, I guess, necessary for building a plastic-framed weapon. 
all these parts have to be fitted correctly. Now, from what I understand, from what I've heard, what I've talked to people about, the AR-15 lowers are much easier to complete with less problems than the Glock lowers. The Glock lowers require a little bit more skill, a little bit more finishing to make them function properly. Of course, it's still not that difficult. I know several people who have built both of them, and both of them function and fire and work properly. So it's not that difficult. It does require some machining to be done to the best possible means, but you can do most of this with just a hand drill if you had to. Especially with the Glock frames, they can be milled usually with just a drill. A drill with a milling bit can be, or the hand drill can be used to build most of these. Now it's best if you're using a drill press if you're working on the AR-15s because it requires removal of a lot of material from the inside of the trigger slash safety area. You have to remove a lot of metal or a lot of plastic from those areas in order to get them prepared to be able to pin in triggers and safeties and such like that and hammers and all that. Now, with a jig, it makes it much easier because it kind of limits you as to where you can remove material. So it shows you where to take it out, how deep to go, and it makes it as easy as possible. So I would not try and do one of these without the proper jig. The jigs will also show you where to drill the holes to put pins in all of these in order to hold all your assemblies in place. Because if you've ever built an AR-15, you know there are pins, there are springs, hammers, triggers. All this stuff has to be lined up to be to fit properly and work properly. And if you follow the directions, follow the milling patterns the way you're supposed to, you should be able to have a weapon that will function just as any factory weapon will. And if you want to do one for a hobby, might as well. This way you get to build what you want. Because a lot of guys don't like buying the factory thing and then stripping it down, putting all the parts they want on it, and having all these extra standard parts that they don't have anything to do with and that have very little value on a secondary market. So go ahead and build what you want. You want to build a custom AR-15, start from an 80% lower, cut it up, get it ready to go, put in whatever parts you want. Don't throw away a bunch of parts you don't need. All you have is a lower receiver. Or you can also build your own from a registered receiver as well. You can buy a stripped-down receiver for a lot of weapons that you can build yourself. Now, that will be a registered weapon. It will not be a ghost gun because you have to register the serial number when you purchase the frame or receiver. Then you can build it however you like. And if you haven't done this before... I would probably recommend getting an assem- uh, a finished receiver first and working on that assembly procedure first. And if you have somebody who can check it over before you actually go to fire it, that would be the best thing. I would think most gun stores would help you with this. If you bring in a receiver that you have finished, you could have them take a quick look at it. And especially if you're a customer there, I don't think they'd have an issue with taking a look and just giving it a quick quick check for safety or fit and finish, anything like that. Now, if you're going to manufacture your own or do an 80%, that requires a lot more work, a lot more precision, and it's a little tougher to do it. Just assembling one from a registered receiver is a matter of just putting the parts in, pinning them in place, which there are some that are somewhat more difficult than others. So I would definitely watch a YouTube video on this if you could find one still. I know that YouTube is very anti-gun, but there are still a lot of videos out there that show, I believe, the best way to put these things together. And there are other, um, I guess, uh, video sponsoring sites that will help you by showing videos of this that are not allowed on YouTube, and they will show you how this is done. They will give you explicit instructions. They'll, watching the video can be more 
informative than reading about it or watching somebody do in still picture. Seeing a video always helps me determine faster whether it's something I want to do or not. And this information should be out there. There's no law against this. It is not illegal. There's nothing illegal about building your own weapon. But like I say, it must be, it must stay with the original builder. You cannot build one for somebody else and sell it to them. Now I don't know about family members and how that works. If you build one, can your son have it? I don't know. I'm not sure how that works. That would be something you have to look into the law before making any assumptions like that because the laws are very strict and very particular about who can own a weapon, who cannot own a weapon, and how they are transferred. Whether in your state you have a straight transfer for just uh, you know a signature and a make sure that person's of age, that's fine. Some states require you to actually transfer a serialized weapon just the way you would buying a new one. So that's something you'd have to determine. But I, I, by all means, I recommend following the laws of your state, doing it properly, getting it done how you want to do it, but make sure you're within the law. Don't give any law enforcement agency any reason to come after you, especially if you are an upstanding citizen, you don't have a criminal record, and you're building this as a hobby. You just want to have the satisfaction of building it yourself. That's something everybody should at least try. And like I said, I recommend first getting an, a finished receiver or, or, or a finished frame and working with that first and just getting the parts, learning how your weapon goes together. That has a lot to do with learning how to make improvements or where you want to make improvements first based on putting it together for the first time or second time or fifth time or hundredth time. Every time you do it, you can build something different. And to be honest, if you don't care to do it yourself, the finished receivers are no different in price than the uh, unfinished receivers. So that's something to consider as well. You know, the price difference between them is almost nothing. If you want to do the milling yourself and the drilling, by all means, get an 80% lower. If you have an AR-15 already, you can look at it as a guideline to be building your 80%. Now, I personally have never built an 80%. I've helped somebody build a Glock frame 80%, but I have built ARs from finished receivers, which, you know, if you've done this before, you know. It's like Tinker Toys. It kind of just goes together. Very rarely do you have anything that doesn't match spec because most of these are, quote, unquote, mil mil spec, which is military specifications, and the AR-15 is very standardized in all of its measurements. Now, there may be a few odd differences. Some receivers are a little what they call enhanced receivers, so you got to watch out for that. All right, good luck in your building. Good luck in gun acquisitions. Be careful. Be safe. My, I'm Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you've been listening to America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.